listening to the Southwest Tech Daily podcast. Hello and welcome to the Southwest Tech Daily podcast Autumn 2023 collection. I'm Robert Hillier. And I'm Fiaz Khan. Coming up this month, another Bristol company helping the whole Southwest. Nine students join us over the summer. We put them through like quite an intense training program and then sent them to work on some client projects. We've made a job offer to eight of them. The red carpet's ready for the tech event of the year, apart from maybe the new iPhone launch. Yeah, we do try and bring that extra wow factor. This year we've got a little something up our sleeve which we're super excited about. It's a tech guest that people should be really excited to meet. And we hear from a global esports superstar joining us from the USA. Here in the United States, the military, Air Force, they will recruit from esports for drone pilots. Keep in touch with Southwest Tech Daily by doing this. Find us on LinkedIn at SW Tech Daily or on Instagram at SW Tech Daily. You're listening to the Southwest Tech Daily podcast. But first, this month, Geiston are a Bristol-based tech firm named after the giant who apparently lived in the Avon Gorge. They employ 25,000 people, that's more than the BBC, and have won lots of awards for their workplace culture and in fact are nominated again at the TSW Awards this year for that. And more on those awards shortly. So Geisten basically helps companies when they need some new software developing. So whatever sector that company may be in. We spoke with Gemma Comley, their head of marketing. Geisten is a bespoke software company. We're based in the heart of Bristol city center. We're actually named after a local legend, the giant that created the Avon Gorge. That's where the name comes from. It was co-founded by Rick and Emily Hill um, back in 2012. Since then, we've just rapidly kind of grown. We're a team now of, I think, nearly 60. Um, And yet we um, work with businesses across the Southwest and beyond in a huge variety of different projects. Um, And we are tech agnostic and sector agnostic. So we can bring like a lot of um, different ideas to the table. So we'll come on to the to the tech festival. But um, I'd like to know more about how how it actually works. So I'm a company and I come to you and I say I've got an issue I need some software help I think what you do we've got a great team we've got the brightest minds in the southwest out there so we would bring you in and we would have a really long conversation about what it is you were looking to do why you were looking to do it Um, we don't just necessarily build things because that's what people ask for we just make sure it's um, it's exactly the right thing so we'd put you in contact with um, our technical pre-sales team our technical consultants they have got like a really long and detailed process to kind of get you through actually that sounds really negative calling it long and like, <laughs> like it's really hard work it's a really interesting kind of process <laughs> to go through to like really get under the skin of what the problem is and how we can solve so, that so 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 unrobust yes it's so unrobust and yeah. um, and, <laughs> and because we're not like tied to a particular tech they're not tied to just giving you one solution it can be something that is is actually created for you. Can you give us an example of one of the best things that you guys have designed where you thought, yeah, that's pretty awesome? My favorite project that we've worked on, it was for sanctuary care homes. They have care homes all across the country. The carers were spending so much time on the admin and just filling in paperwork at the end of like every day. Um, And it was taking up up to an hour just to kind of like 
get all the bits of paper together, fill them in, making sure that everyone's care needs have been met. Um, so that's like a long time spent on just admin processes. So we built them a bespoke care app. So it was much easier for them to go in and kind of like check off all the kind of care plans for each of the people they were caring for, which gave them more time to actually spend with the residents and making sure that they were getting like the best kind of care that they could give. It's amazing um, and very worthwhile. Yes, it's it's a great way of like how technology can like add so much value to people's lives. And so do you think as well, because you're not, you're not sector specific, so you won't have that kind of detailed or obsessive knowledge of one sector. Does this mean that when someone like the example you've just given there from a care home comes forward, that then opens up a whole new world of possibilities that maybe you wouldn't have thought about because unless you work in that sector, there's no reason for you to know there's an issue there. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of like cross-pollination of ideas. And I think that's like a huge benefit to everybody involved. Um, and it, as you say, it just kind of keeps everyone's mind open to like the potential solutions. You talked about the Bristol Tech Festival and you talked about the Tech Southwest Awards. I think let's talk about the awards because we're all very excited about it. And last year was absolutely amazing. And we, we were always saying, you know, how are Tech Southwest going to actually improve on the awards? Because every year it's in a bigger and better place. And it just seems as if it's not. It's not able to be done because it's where do you go? It's just incredible. It was so, fantastic uh, last what, year. Yeah, yeah, it was, wasn't it? It was one of yeah, the best. Yeah, it was a really great evening. The hosts were amazing. I don't know. The hosts were so were, exceptional. They definitely, um, um, added, they added really that brought extra the little bit together. of sparkle for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have. I Are you have, guys uh, back? I have heard that. Are you guys back this year? Can I no. ask that question? You can ask the question. No, we're not going to be back this year, sadly. We actually are going to be watching it remotely oh, this year. Oh, of course. I'm sure I didn't know about this. Because we're in South Africa. Um, but we'll be back next year. Robert's coming back a couple of times to England over the next few months. Maybe he'll do it by himself with someone yeah, else. I could still do it, must do it myself. Or with somebody. I'll, I'll, I'll do it with you if you It's like. quite hard. Yeah. yeah. You can yeah. Always, we could tell Tech Southwest. Actually, we're... We're putting that out there now. Maybe Robert and Gemma, and then we can host. Yeah, well, I think I, yeah bring it over. I bring think, it over. I think, I think of myself as more of a more of a Graham Norton than half a Richard and Judy. So I think I could go. I think I could. I think I could go solo. I, I feel like we're splitting up the band here now. It's. Um... I feel like... <laughs> um, I'm okay with it. Really. Oh, fine. Um, no, but it was such a good. It was so good last year. And what I think is good about the Tech Southwest Awards is it's not very old. It's only yes. been since we started this podcast, which is about four years old. When did we start? 2019. So four years old this year. But it has the feel of a much more established, older award ceremony. And totally. that's what I love about it. Yeah, I think it's real testament to the community that Tech Southwest have built up in such a short space of time. Um, it feels like you're seeing kind of like friends there when you go to the awards. Yeah, yeah, I'm really, really excited for this year. I mean, have we already told everyone where it's going to be this year? Because I don't want to say. Oh, I don't think we can do. Oh, that. sorry, we can't. We cannot reveal any information. Um, but yeah, <laughs> maybe, no maybe, spoilers. maybe later. Yeah, maybe later. So, are you guys up for any awards this year? So we've entered three awards this year. So we've entered Tech Company of the Year, Best Place to Work, and Commitment to Diversity. And I don't think we've won a Tech Southwest Award yet. So I'm really trying to manifest an actual win. And I really would love a mm. Tech Southwest Award trophy on our shelf. So putting it out oh, there to the luck. universe. 
how much um how i've never asked anybody this question before it's just sort of occurred to me how how important is it do you think in terms of your own corporate culture and the culture that you want to set within your company that when you when you make an application for an award it reflects some of the the values that you're trying to instill within your company it was you know as, as as to as a kind of way of way of measuring what you've done so rather than kind of a, entering every single award going to make sure that you actually do enter the awards that reflect what it is that you're trying to do hugely important and we try and think of things that um award categories that like align with our values and our vision um so I mean, the one I would really, really love to win on a personal level is the commitment to diversity, because I think the people team have put like a huge amount of work into looking at our processes and trying to create um, a culture and atmosphere that's really welcoming of as many diverse minds as possible. Um, And I think it's really important for the team to see that kind of work recognised. So I think I think it's hugely important to like go for awards that mean a lot internally as well. Um, and like the team like really really get behind them and it's it's such a huge thing even just to be nominated we had a really big table last year at the tech southwest awards i mean it was in bristol so that did help but everyone was really keen to come along i was kind of having to turn people away at the end (laughs) i just don't have enough tickets um but because people just want to come along and celebrate all the brilliant things that we've been up to yeah that's amazing and um you have actually won previously an award for best place to work haven't you well came highly commended Oh, okay that's so it's, good. It's, that was amazing and we were very very proud of it but we really really want to to win <laughs> you want the actual award well I'll give you some advice but I think you probably already entered because I've been on the judging panel before and what we were looking for because it's so thorough it's so yes. thorough it's, I mean uh, and, uh, robust. and robust yes yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say that some people call it lengthy but I mean <laughs> yeah it's not lengthy, <laughs> it's not lengthy. <laughs> no but we um the things that we're looking for, it, we actually quite quite wanted longer essays, one oh, and okay. two. It That's kind of had to, yeah, it had to reflect every aspect. So we wanted to see examples because what we would do is we'd read everything separately and then come together and then talk about our best ones. Mm-hmm. And everybody, 98% agreed with each other and came up with the best ones together. And only because all of the information was in there. So if people put in all of the information, because the judges are there to read everything, you know, they're not rushing through things. You do, then it's like a story, right? So you tell a story of yourself. And if you put everything in there and show the examples, then we tended to choose those as our shortlist. And then in the end, you come up with the highly commended, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So that's, that's how it worked for us. So I think my advice would be, Put everything in and give an example for everything that you say. I've already answered that. Yeah, but you know, it's fine. You've probably done that. Okay. That's, I, that's, I think that's we've done that. An, that's a good answer to a question three months ago. <laughs> I'm a bit jealous of the people getting to judge the awards. I think it must be fascinating to read what everyone's been up to. Yeah, you must get so much insight into what other people, what other businesses are doing. It must be really tough. It must be a really, really tough choice. Yeah, no, it is. But there were, it was hilarious sometimes because sometimes you'd get an amazing startup, which you knew was an amazing startup, but then they would write the award and just say, we would like to do this because we're the best workplace full stop and that oh, was really it. that was their essay yeah so we had we had got some some of those where you were like well I can't put this through yeah because they haven't there's no motivation here so yeah that's 
frustrating. But yeah, no, it is very interesting. And I'm very excited for this year. And I can't believe we can't say anything. I wish nobody told us anything. So we didn't know anything because then it made it easier. Can I ask Gemma a question like the old days. Okay. <laughs> um, how, um, how, how important is your location? What does Bristol mean to a company like Geiston? Oh, I mean... It's like hugely important to us, as as I mentioned at the the start. Um, you know, we're named after a Bristol like local legend. Bristol is weaved into our DNA. For us, we're just so proud to be part of the southwest tech sector. And in Bristol, we're just surrounded by so many amazing businesses. We run regular um, roundtables where we get local CTOs to come along and just chat about um the issues and stuff that are kind of going on. So like recently we've been talking about AI quite a lot, as has everyone else. Um, And it's just, it's always so inspiring to hear what everyone's up to. Um, And yeah, we just love it. It's just such a wonderful place to be. Actually, now that we're on the subject of Bristol, let's talk about the Bristol Tech Festival because I think that's not very old either. That's about four years old, isn't it? Bristol Tech, how does that? I think it's had some different kind of like forms, but I think in this form, yes. it's, it's pretty, pretty new. It's a very fascinating festival. You know, there's a lot going on and it also has the same feel of a much older space. But I, I think what I love about Bristol Tech Festival is that it's so um, welcoming. It's so diverse and yeah. you get to see loads and loads of different people from all over the southwest so last year we um were heavily involved in the people day so we had our own event going on that day and we had a lot of the team like in and out and um attending different things and like halfway through the week I ran past um Rick who's our CTO and he was like Gemma we need to do more with the festival next year this has just been the best week um and I totally agreed with him so we're actually headline sponsors this year um and that's been really exciting for us. We um we've got a program of, of events during the week. Um, we're calling it the Breakfast Club. So every morning, um, we'll start the day with some coffee and croissants over at the engine shed, um, and just start kind of the discussions around the topic of the day. Um, so we're really kind of like looking forward to that, like hearing about what people are like looking forward to, like what's what they're trying to get out of the day. Um, it's a great way. We think it's going to be a great way to kind of like kickstart your learning. But okay. that's actually incredible that you guys are headline sponsors this year. That's a, a really, really great place to to sponsor, I think. It's fantastic. So well, um, so what can we look forward to at the Tech Festival this year? I mean, you said you we have to do more. So what is it that you're doing more of? We are just like looking to bring more partners and like a network in to help us kind of like lead those conversations. Um, we're not going to be doing the panel events of people just kind of talking at you for like an hour it's going to be um like mini round tables where everyone gets a chance to kind of like speak and share their stories um so i think more collaboration is what the the we're looking to get out of the week that sounds incredible i'm really excited panel events you've just ruined the vast majority of conferences that any of us will ever go to yeah Robert's oh, going no, to I a think, conference I think there's, <laughs> no, I'm we think there's I'm absolutely a place for panel events and you know but <laughs> I, I think that kind of first session of the day you want to get in and get talking don't you I think that's absolutely. what we're yeah yeah I agree I agree 100 and I think um, and I think it's always it's always useful to keep reminding conference organizers to maybe think about what it is that they're doing and why because isn't it, it's very easy isn't it just to kind of fall into panel events fringe event plenary session 
was in fact, is that is that the best way of doing it? And definitely the interaction, the interactive sessions are always, always much more beneficial. I completely agree. Um, we did um, one over in the Bath Digital Festival and it, we used um, the Serious Lego Play workshop format mm-hmm. and Lucy Hornthorne, this amazing facilitator, came along and brought hundreds and hundreds of pieces of Lego and people were building what they thought the tech Southwest sector looked like. It was brilliant. It was just such a good way to kind of like spark those conversations. So, yeah, we're, we're all about interactive collaboration sessions. Yeah, really interesting. Um, there's no secret that the UK economy is going through a bit of a rough time uh, yes. at the moment. How... Uh, do you find that that is impacting on what you do and the kind of conversations that you're having with people from across the sector? There's a lot more focus on efficiency and how we can work smarter and work together. I think this is like a great time for us just to kind of take stock about what's really important and kind of like hunker down and get ready for like the next stage of growth, which, you know, is just going to be around the corner, isn't it? How important do you think it is that? Because I remember, just going back two years ago, now, I think when uh, I went to the G20 in Cornwall and had some conversations with some pretty senior figures, from, for example, the World Bank and then the IMF, and they just kept reiterating that in terms of the Southwest, you need to cluster, but also you mm-hmm. need to get a specialism. You need to decide what it is you're going to be for in the same way that, that Cambridge is known for bioscience, for example. Now, that isn't happening, I think, in the way that they meant because I think probably that they maybe don't understand the kind of geography of the region and the different pockets of of specialism within there. But do you think it's uh, do you think it's okay for there to be such diversity of ideas and talent and focus and different specialisms across the region, while it's still and Bristol in particular is becoming increasingly known, isn't it, for being um, a centre for for technical and, and startup growth, but you still wouldn't necessarily point to exactly what it's a specialist in. Do you think, do you think that that matters? I don't know if it does matter actually, because I think that is one of our strengths, that kind of diverse mind. I think what we're perhaps missing, and I think that's where the Tech Southwest um, membership is coming in, is that vehicle to kind of bring it all together. And I know Dan and Joe have got some like amazing plans about how we can, all come together and bring that diverse mind and share that with the rest of the country. So I think that we should look at that as a positive rather than a negative. Mm, and one of the things that um, we always get on this podcast, something that we always talk about, and and because you mentioned, you know, that Geiston is a place that is very welcome to everyone and, you know, you've got this commitment to diversity, etc. How easy is it to or how how have you found it trying to recruit people and trying to get the right talent especially because obviously for the highly technical work that you're doing you you definitely need people who are highly skilled and highly experienced so how easy is that for you or difficult I mean it is a challenge to get the right kind of talent we look for kind of aptitude and attitude rather than just the technical skills so we've just finished a um, eight-week internship where we had nine students join us over the summer to work with us and we put them through like quite an intense training program at the beginning and then sent them to work on some client projects and I think we've made a job offer of to eight of them um, and we've just had five new graduates start with us this year so things have been a bit more challenging but we're still seeing some like great kind of like talent coming through. That's incredible and and where 
these students coming from? Where are the interns coming from? Are they mainly London based or are they from other parts of the Southwest or, and also how are they working? Is it remote or is it in office? The interns came and joined us in, in the office in Bristol. They came from a variety of different kind of universities and they came to Bristol. Bristol again was quite a big attraction for them to come. It's such a great city to kind of be in. But yeah, it, it was great to kind of like have them here. They brought like a real buzz to the office. So yeah, like hoping that they join us over the next year or two once they finish their degrees. Gemma Comley of Geiston. So last year's Tech Southwest Awards have been dubbed the best ever by many, many people, as you heard in that interview. And coincidentally, we hosted them, as you may have heard, at Aerospace Bristol. The list of this year's nominees are out now, so check out the Tech Southwest website. See you up to date. And to find out just a little more about what's happening this year, we spoke to Tech Southwest's Joe Bevan. So Tech Southwest Awards 2023 happening at Sandy Park in Exeter, home of the Exeter Chiefs uh, rugby team, in the middle of a Rugby World Cup. That is an exciting place to have it. Yeah, and I suppose now because of the size and scale, it's not that many venues is actually possible to choose from, is it, in the whole in the whole region? Crazy as it may sound. Well, that is a challenge for us, and especially because we we like around the region and kind of showcase to different venues out there, kind of visit local clusters that we work with in different areas. So we've held it in kind of various different places. And yeah, as you say, we have over 300 people in attendance. So that quickly whittles out a lot of potential venues for such a, a big event. And new awards for this year. What are we looking at? Yeah, that's right. So every year we kind of look at uh, the categories from the years before, what worked, what kind of new things are on the horizon. So we couldn't avoid jumping on uh, the bandwagon this year with the best application of AI award, which is it's probably got it's in the top handful of categories in terms of number of entries. It's been a really popular one. So that's really exciting to see. We've kind of gone a bit harder on the sector specific categories. So we've got Agritech in there. We've got Createch, which is all about creativity and technology. Uh, we've got a spotlight award. So that's for individuals. So that is for people who are kind of paving the way, whether they're an entrepreneur, whether they're a founder just starting out and kind of getting through their first few founding, uh, funding rounds, or if it's someone who's led tech companies for the last 40 years and uh, they're a bit of a veteran on the scene. So that spotlight category is really for anyone. And then we've got their kind of favorites, you know, the best startup tech company of the year. Uh, we've got supporting the sector this year for organizations which are kind of making the things possible in the sector. So whether that's a legal firms, marketing, and the financials, all of those, all about shining a spotlight on those. Because at the end of the day, the tech sector is amazing, but it, it couldn't do what it does without the support of those kind of peripheral organizations. And then we've got things like the Cluster Awards. So that celebrates tech organizations doing great things in their local cluster. So Plymouth, Cornwall, Dorset, wherever it may be. But yeah, with over, what, 26 categories, I think. So uh, it's quite a, quite a lot to, to get through and really trying to leave no stone unturned, really, in celebrating the best in tech from across the region. I know we say this every year, but I'm pretty sure we've had more entries than ever this year. Yeah. I always think people will think we're lying when we say it because we do say it every year, but it really is true. So I don't think we've ever had a year that's gone backwards in terms of the number of entries or even stayed remotely the same. So we've had over 350 entries this year, which is, I think last year we had just over 300. So, I mean, massive increase there. What's that, 20% increase or something like that? Someone will correct me for that. Yeah, and actually we spoke to a load of people um, on the podcast and and just surrounding in the Southwest tech scene who have said that they applied for the awards and they hadn't ever done it before and it was their first time. So actually you can see even organically that it's just increasing as we go along. Yeah, that's great to hear. And obviously we have 
organizations and people that we work closely with and we we see kind of the same faces a lot of a lot of events which is fantastic we've got a really strong community in the region but we are always trying to reach out to people who haven't plugged into the the sector fully yet they maybe thought about the awards but haven't entered maybe they go to tech events in their area but they haven't branched out into kind of the wider region so we're all, all about trying to get new people involved all the time really and uh and and also i think that's a key reason why we this year we've tried to push nominations a bit more so usually anyone can enter themselves for the awards but this year we've really tried to get people to nominate others as well because there's people who they might think oh it'd be great but they don't actually have the i don't know self-confidence or whatever it is to put themselves forward for an award so that's also been fantastic to see some of these nominations come in really shining a light you know on, on people doing great things that, that are too modest maybe have you noticed over the years you've been involved the nature of the interest in different sections of the awards is that reflective of how that the sector's changing in in the region as well that there's more interest in you know for example ai i'm assuming i should check but i don't know i'm assuming that probably was its own award five years ago was now obviously it's going to be a, a really important and major one are you seeing those kind of trends reflected in not just the categories but in the nominations as well yeah i think so to an extent i mean there are categories which are always um they've always been super popular from the from the get-go really so that, i mean one that really stands out is the innovation award maybe just because that's such a broad term and everyone can claim to be innovating in their own in their own way but yeah i think so the best application of ai that's a new category for this year so really excited about that one and obviously everyone's talking about ai so we kind of had to include that one and you also see categories more about the kind of positive impact i think one great thing about the tech sector is everyone well, you know 99% of people involved are really passionate about making a positive impact so that's categories like commitment to diversity workplace culture all about supporting your teams sustainability tech for good these categories you know they get a really strong showing and i feel like that probably is i mean i haven't got the stats but that probably is increasing in recent years and people are really there's more of a priority i think to to highlight the good things in that way that the sector is capable of achieving okay this is nothing to do with tech but i'm very interested last year we had some really good food what is on the menu this year? <laughs> that is to be revealed, I'm afraid. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we put that in then. Don't put that one in. Oh, I don't sad. know what to say, really. Don't know. It's going to be good. We had I some hope. good tacos last year. I was so, th- those tacos were incredible. Yeah, I'm so, I still know, think about them now. Yeah, but you know, with the street food style, I mean, that's why I really like it. We'll see. Sitting down, having a meal. You know, you know what we should do? We, sh- we should put into chat GPT, design a menu for a regional tech award ceremony. Let's do it now. And see what it and see what it You know that's what my current job is, Joseph. What I'm training training AI to give human answers. Yeah, I'm training language learning models to be more human. That's incredible. I know, it's hilarious. Uh, Joe, I'm I'm gonna ask you a question. Um obviously it's a bit of a challenge every year to wow people in some way. Any hint as to what may be on the cards this year? Yeah, you're dead right. We do try and bring a little wow factor every year. So last year we had the Concorde hanging above our heads, the last Concorde ever to fly, actually. The year before, we were in the market hall with that amazing immersive dome, the only one of its kind in Europe. So yeah, we do try and bring that extra wow factor. This year, we've got a little something up our sleeve, which we're super excited about. It is a bit of a surprise, I have to say, but safe to say um, it's a bit of a kind of tech guest that people should be really excited to meet. And, and to talk to. So if I say that, maybe people can get a little bit of it. Okay, so we, we have ChatGPT's response, the menu celebrating innovation in Southwest England. Because we are not sure what the menu is going to be, we put into ChatGPT, create a menu for a Southwest England 
Tech Awards ceremony. And would you like to know the results? It's quite low. First of all, <laughs> there's a lot of alcohol here. Secondly, yeah. it's got 13 courses, three of which are alcohol courses. So <laughs> the hors d'oeuvres, the innovation salad. Silicon soup, code-crusted <laughs> salmon, quantum quinoa bowl. That's listed as the vegan option. Data-driven steak. Tech. Trends, truffle fries. Binary broccoli. That's my favourite. Binary broccoli. Decadent <laughs> data cake. Raspberry pie parfait. It's actually quite clever. That's actually, that is funny. Yeah, I do like And that then one. that's it. Yeah, the slightly baffling at the end, it then says coffee and tea station. Obviously, even chat GPT's given up at that point. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't deal, couldn't take any, couldn't take any more. <laughs> anyway, no, you are not obliged to serve these, but I did think it was hilarious. That is, um, I like what was a data driven steak or something. Data driven yeah. steak. Data driven steak, yeah. Which is just if you read it, just a steak. So it's just <laughs> like it's like the uh, the the tech trends truffle fries are actually just chips with yeah. a bit of parmesan. With a bit of parmesan. Any, right. any chef it's out okay. there it's it's not, it's not... jobs with the AI revolution? Relax now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a very good point. But it's nice of it's nice of ChatGPT to have made the effort. Which is something yeah, I always feel like to it. Always, okay. always say, always say, thank, thanks for, thanks for making the effort. But I'll, I'll have a look, I'll have a look over here. Yeah, um, I, and I, Joe, I say so yourself. You. I say thank you to ChatGPT. I like to think if I say thank you, it won't kill me in the robot revolution. <laughs> I actually asked my kids to say please and thank you to Alexa. Alexa, where is this? Well, <laughs> say Alexa, please. Can you tell me where this is? You don't have to just bark orders at Alexa because otherwise they'll do that to other people. It's mm. ridiculous. Well, I've got no doubt ChatGPT is keeping a little record of people who've been rude to it <laughs> over the years. Yeah. So when when it decides whether or not we should be exterminated, it will refer to that. Um, and Joe, from a personal perspective, you've been involved right from the beginning. What does the uh, what do you look forward to most uh, awards night? Wow, yeah, good question. So for me, the region is an amazing room with so much going on. And it's not easy to get everyone in the same room from right across uh, the southwest, as you can imagine. People from Cornwall, people from Bristol, people from Dorset, people from wherever. So for me, that's the best thing, just bringing all these people in, people that know each other, people who come to our virtual events, people who bump into each other, other things going on, have everyone in the in the room chatting, getting on, you know, people networking. It's good for them, it's good for people professionally, but it's also just brilliant crack. And so for me, that's the best thing, just bringing everyone together and celebrating what everyone is up to because everyone is everyone in our network in the se- in the sector is doing such amazing things and coming together to celebrate that is just such a such a privilege. That's Joe Bevin from Tech Southwest. The Southwest Tech Daily podcast. So, we're usually quite strict about who we have on the podcast. You've got to be from a Southwest tech business. But when we got this email from one of the world's leading esports stars who's heard our esports edition, we just had to say yes. Yeah, Liam Brown is the Corporate Partnerships Manager for the Knights Esports Group. They're a leading gaming franchise based in Pittsburgh, whose partners include the Pittsburgh Steelers, six-time Super Bowl winners, and a gentleman called Wiz Khalifa. (laughs) (laughs) What is funny about that? You know who Wiz Khalifa is. I actually don't know who it is. You know who Wiz Khalifa is. It's a, name, it? it's a name that I've heard, but I couldn't tell you if he was a property developer right. or something. We're going to, while this interview is playing, we're going to go on Spotify together. And here's our conversation. We're one of the largest esports organizations as a whole in the United States. We're based in the East Coast. And one thing that makes us a little bit different is we're actually three companies wrapped up into one. Most esports organizations you're going to see on the market are either a competitive entity 
or like an events and tournaments organizing entity. And we are not only a competitive entity, we have our own influencers and content creators. We run our own events and also run entire leagues and tournaments on behalf of gaming developers. And uh, finally, we are a tech developer and we're all about building the path to pro environment that um, is kind of shrouded in mystery in gaming and esports, as well as bringing people together in uh, gaming really so that is a little bit of background on me and a little bit of background on the organization as a whole what's um what's your background for you to have found your found your career pathway into into something that presumably even a decade ago wouldn't have been a wouldn't have existed or certainly wouldn't have been a, a kind of viable career option how have you got to where you are yeah, this is a great question. I, I actually love telling this story because I came from the traditional education background looking to go to the agency side. I have uh, I went to University of Pittsburgh and I changed my major, uh, my, my course of study like five different times. I changed my career path like six different times. And it was during my senior year of the first school year that COVID was really out there in force. So I was looking for different experiences and different ways to um, be a part of student life on campus. And I was an intern at a tech company at the time uh, called CDWG. And they were doing a big push in esports because despite all the COVID regulations, Esports and gaming was a question that had not stopped. It allowed people to, you know, experience that varsity level of, of sports, you know, uh, create friendships, um, maintain different friendships, all in a COVID compliant environment. This was something that really interested me because I saw how positive it was for, for really just people's mental health and lifestyle. So I found I started networking on campus and kind of building the esports audience as a whole there. I got rejected by the university for building a formalized esports program because it wasn't in their five-year plan and i kind of felt disenfranchised i found out that I, this is something that i really had a passion for and then i ended up finding out that the there was an esports a professional esports organization in my same city so i loaded up my own manila folder and packet with my resume and my cover letter and a white paper uh, that i had written as well as a couple of um, university of pittsburgh face masks now i kind of had like all my hopes and dreams in this like one folder and i was still a student so i had free bus uh, free bus pass with my student id i went over to their offices and i found out that um i i as long as I dressed well, I was able to get past security and I go into their offices and there's nobody there. So I, it turns out that their offices are located in the same offices as the Steelers, which is a professional football team here uh, in mm -hmm. the States. And there, uh, the, there was one lady in their offices and I'm like, and, and I said, I don't know if, if there's anything you can do to help me. And she said, well, actually, you know, they still get their mail. So I could just put it in the mail. And I was like, okay. And within a week, I heard a call back from the president and CEO, James O'Connor, and who in the esports and tech world, he is 
really been a background figure in gaming because he started back in um, the early 2000s with CS:GO, which was a pioneer in professional esports. So a lot of people on the in the old guard know who he is. So I got to sit down with him, and we had about an hour and a half conversation where he broke down so many different intricacies of the industry and it turns out that was my first interview and then i went along and that's how i really got my start in esports i didn't go in wanting to be a professional player or a content creator or in game design i found this as first my passion for you know bringing people together and i just chased that so that's really my entrance into the space it's interesting isn't it i suppose that because taking the university as an example because it wasn't in their five-year plan therefore yeah. you had to look outside it's part of that democratization if you if, if you want to do this then kind of non-public sector old organizations haven't been able to take advantage of this so much and may, maybe that's why things are moving so quickly because it forces people to behave in this world yeah i think you put it perfectly and and higher education has kind of been late to the boat as far as gaming and esports because they merely use it as a tool for student engagement and um you know to to gain like a student applications in in and their that's their main source of income so they kind of look at it as a way to pacify the students almost now i'm not saying that that that's all a bad thing but i don't think that they're approaching it with all of the the right reasons so um and and also like a lot of these this this the argument for student athletes and stuff like that is just like they're used by the schools as a media tool and uh, it's interesting as well when you mentioned the uh, the 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 steelers there so like any large sporting organization the people who take to the field are one percent aren't there what it actually takes to run yeah. an organization and a successful sports club so did you were you were you surprised when or, or did you know or were you, were you surprised when you saw the the breadth and depth of not just talent but also opportunities available for people working within a sector like this and it wasn't just about the play it was everything else that goes behind it and the opportunities available that of that you've then been able to work in was that something that you knew about before you you'd you'd engage with uh, with the company i so i had i i've always heard of different or the esports teams that have had investment from professional sports organizations or perhaps hedge funds and investment funds but i never seen it play out in real life so i when i was doing my research into the nights I found out that they had worked with the Steelers and the Pirates and, and Wiz Khalifa. But what I didn't know is that all of the major sports teams in Pittsburgh, as well as Wiz Khalifa and his Taylor gang, were our strategic partners with and original investors in the Knights. So they got a lot of the larger professional entities in the city that they were based in uh, to invest in them very early on. And I was able to come in and and help strengthen those relationships and, and be a part of a lot of really cool experiences. So I think reading about some of these relationships that you hear about in the media versus seeing them play out in real life. I mean, as with anything, it's like night and day. It's such a cool experience walking on to the Steelers stadium 
and just saying hi to like some of the professional players, which mind you are massive human beings, like in physicality and also in like all aspects of the character. But it's it's really cool, just kind of like the experience that plays out in in this specific situation. So, do you think if you if you go um, below the the college and university system in the U.S., do you think amongst um, high school or, or junior school, do you think there's there's any awareness or is there increasing awareness of the opportunities of available within this sector? Yeah. Oh man. I, I love this question. So the, the two big uh, kind of scholastic or education organizations here in the United States are NACIF and NACE. NACE obviously is a, the collegiate entity, but NACIF is the National uh, Association of Scholastic Esports Federation or something along those lines. And that takes care of specifically middle school and high school. So when we're talking about esports and gaming in comparison to traditional sports, that path to pro or that kind of nurturing of the next generation of talent is in its infancy with these organizations organizations and they're making it relatively easy for schools and the student body to be a part of these larger esports and gaming you know tournaments and depending on which game titles the students want to compete in they're able to offer that uh, as a um, as a competitive title but i think that it's gaining traction the students themselves are constantly experiencing an influx of communication from the professional side again esports one of the reasons it's so popularized and it's been able to grow is because it's so accessible you're able to watch it on your phone, laptop, computer, for free on any platform. You don't have to pay for any specific streaming services. The professional events themselves are very easy to, to get into uh, as far as from like a viewership angle. So uh, because of how accessible it is, people are constantly aware of what the pros are doing. As far as emulating that in you know middle school, high school, college, that remains to be seen in my opinion, just because these uh, education institutions are a little bit behind the curve as far as um, adopting that as, uh, pr as like an experience that they wanna provide for the students. So do you think if you were 12, 13, 14 year old, boy or girl living in living in Pittsburgh or living in Chicago or living in Dallas and you said to your parent or your teacher you know I've 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 looked into this I understand you know what's happening I understand the growth and opportunity around sports and gaming I think I could forge a career there do you think they that that even now would not be looked upon as a as a as a as a serious pathway or the fact that they might even not have the knowledge of how to help that particular student find their way within that pathway you mentioned about you followed a traditional um a traditional university education would that still be seen as 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 the the kind of guidance that would be given by by most people to a question like that no, that's a that's a great question. I think that back in 2019, when the world saw the first like Fortnite World Cup, and I think uh, Duga he won at the age of 16, and the I, I think that in order to be a part of this space, you just have to have down what your plan is and combine that with a, a level of um, keeping it open mind. So I think that it's very rational to pursue it as a career, but you have to be open to all the possibilities that that can occur. You know, like the you, you have to be ready for pivoting between being strictly a, a competitive player 
to also creating content and providing that uh, personality that people are drawn to and building the brand around your online persona so that people, again, that you, you give your fan base something to, uh, to belong to. So the Southwest Tech Daily podcast. It, esports is a little bit more complicated to pursue just because there's a lot more uh, digital side to it. You have to like fan base management and things along those uh, those lines and consistent uploading uh, is, a, is another thing that you got to stay constant with. So it's it's a what I would say is that it's a little bit more all encompassing as opposed to the traditional sports side where you can just be a really, really good player and get picked up by these teams versus in esports, you can be a really, really good player but have like a really bad following and you might not get picked up by your first pick of organizations. You know, the, the, you have to, when you're recruiting, like when we recruit, we look at talent in the game, overall following and the, that person themselves and, and how their personality vibes in with us as an organization. And, and I can tell you a lot of different esports entities look at recruiting just like that. Whereas on the traditional side, they just look at sheer talent in the sport. So um, I think that, it's, it's very much a rational career as far as helping your family member or your student pursue that career. It is a little bit harder because <laughs> like on the traditional side, it's like, oh, I want to be a professional basketball player. Okay, we're going to sign you up for these specific camps. Well, on this side, it's like, I want to be a professional gamer or a professional esports athlete, it's like, okay, well, you have to work on not only increasing the number of hours you're practicing in the game, we also have to work on your peripheral skills, such as your aim, your movement. We also have to work on consistent uploads. Uh, we also have to work on your digital, your branding. Uh, what pl platforms are you on? Uh, we got to work on all these different things. So that, I hope that that's my verbose way of answering your question as far as like getting into the space. Yeah, no, it's just thing. And, 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 it, and, it, and it makes you understand why a careers advisor might not want to get involved in that kind of conversation, because that's very difficult, isn't it? For people who have had a traditional academic upbringing. That's, this, is, this, is, this sits way outside people's skill set and people's knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you, I think you put it perfectly. Like this is outside of a lot of people's, um, knowledge so they might just strike it down as a possibility for the future instead of like putting forth the you know the research and, and the time that it takes to understand the space when you want to enter it so they might say oh okay well go get your degree first or or they might say something out of love as a way to have something to fall back on should this not work out because they don't understand so much of it as opposed yeah. to perhaps getting them into the the path to the the smaller path to pro environment that we've discussed and and helping them edit videos and things like that it's it's a lot harder um how much how much of these additional skills that you need how much of them can be coached and taught and how much of it is just built in do you think to someone's personality yeah well as far as like talent in the game there's a lot of different coaching platforms you can go to uh, to increase your talent in specific uh, gaming titles. There's also a bunch of like free resources you can use to work on like aim, like aim labs is the king of practicing your aim for any first person shooter title. That's what a lot of CSGO and Valorant pros use. Um, and, and as far as the content side and building your brand, that's something that cannot be taught really i mean of course there's a lot of different courses you can go into and youtube videos and different tutorials and 101 seminars that you can go to about branding to give you a generalized um 
a generalized feel. There's a lot of other videos and, and tools you can use to learn about increasing like view count and stuff like that. But there's no formal pathway to teach people about the brands inside as it pertains to gaming. So can you talk to us about some of the opportunities that exist around this industry? Clearly the US is leading the way. What are you seeing overseas and particularly within the UK in terms of the growth of this market? Yeah, I mean, um, the as, as far as Europe goes, I mean, the the a majority of the CSGO talent is going to be coming out of uh, Eastern European countries specifically. As far as the size of the esports audience in the European continent, it's going to be around... I believe 90 or 92 million uh, just over the course of 2023. Um, I, I, as far as the European audience and the um, audience here in America and how they differ, the a lot of gaming developers have found that they can get longer life out of different gaming titles in Europe. Um, whereas here in the States, people are constantly reaching for the next gaming title. So, but in, in Europe, you can constantly, you can find a lot of CSGO or perhaps League of Legends players that have been playing that same gaming title for like five or 10 years. And that's something that's relatively unheard of, uh, in other markets. Uh, another thing that's different about the esports tournaments in, or, or really the esports audience in Europe is the simple fact that such a large amount of professional talent comes out of there that um, then there's a lot of like different trading of different players all over Europe specifically. So you might get, so, so the language barrier is a huge thing. You might get uh, an entire team where people are from a lot of different countries, as opposed to here in the States where there, you might get a lot of players that are just either from Korea or, or in America. Um, and, and as far as the esports audience and, and the highest engaged audience, that's going to be over in Southeast Asia. So they're the ones that are the, the highest engaged all over, you know, uh, mobile gaming, as well as per, uh, other um, console and PC titles, simply because uh, mobile phones are easily accessible for the general population. So everybody's able to game. But PC and console ownership is still relatively rare. So they still have different internet cafes as a culture and a community that people will go and game all day at in a common area. So um, that, that's, my, that's my way of like answering your questions and giving a generalized yeah, bit of information that, about that's, each that's, area. That's, that's interesting around, around the culture. Do, do you think that, um, that countries understand yet that if they can crack this ecosystem and actually really be be able to understand the potential economic and societal benefits of what of what this can offer that things will really start to take off that now there seem to be more blocks to uh, achieving what the potential around esports and gaming is that there's still a lot of friction there that you have to fight against to get through and if a country really unlocks the potential of this that they could see enormous economic and social value yeah i i think that i mean, you know that's first off that's a that's a really good question i think that there's a lot of 
growth that still needs to happen in every country for us to completely understand what potential they have on the esports market and i think that you have there is a lot of conflicting values from this new digital age with the older uh traditional workforce that is still present in a lot of the the lives of of the gamers everywhere so like you're going to be you're pursuit of perhaps an esports career is going to conflict with that of your family who maybe have been plumbers or um or builders for like their entire generation so there's going to be a lot of friction as far as like individual family values there and then from the government side i think that for a lot i've I've mentioned this before in previous interviews but i think a lot of countries governments can understand that esports is a really good recruiting tool for um different militaries and military groups here in the united states the military air force uh specifically they will recruit from esports for drone pilots so when they find some of the top the the best of the best in some of these different high schools and in colleges, those are the students that they can bring on specifically to be drone pilots themselves. So from a national security perspective, esports is a really, really good investment to narrow down who is going to be the most accurate and skillful at aim going into your nation's military. Um, and then on the professional side, I mean, this esports investment coincides with uh you know stem education a lot of the students that have interest in gaming or in esports that either as a pastime uh or or as a pursuit they're going to be gravitating towards stem fields so then from a critical infrastructure standpoint you're going to receive a larger higher educated audience or or demographic in your country then um kind of on the other end you're going to be experiencing a lot more in third-party investment from the population into different uh, technologies that is going to help you know grow the country and it starts at and this growth really starts at every level and has to participate in by everybody but it can start from the the general populace and the grassroots level of the gaming experience that was leon brown speaking to robert that was a super cool interview yes didn't know where to begin. Well, I think I said it needs its own esports podcast to find out more about him and indeed the Wiz Khalifas. Anyway, that was absolutely brilliant. Guys, if you have listened this far, thank you so much for sticking with us. I know Robert can be quite trying at times, so well done you. Please go to the Tech Southwest website to see if you've been shortlisted for the awards, and if you want to get on the podcast, as always, please find us on LinkedIn, find us on Instagram, at SWTechDaily. Get in touch with Samea. If you look at the write-up on Spotify or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, her email should be on the write-up, so get in touch there. Until next month, goodbye. goodbye. Come and join, Come the, and join conversation the conversation on LinkedIn, on LinkedIn. Southwest, Southwest Tech, Tech Daily. Daily.